Hello there and welcome. I'm Nathaniel. I'm Liz. And you are listening to the very first episode of the Punch Like a Girl podcast. Woo! Woo! Welcome. It's very exciting. So um, before we get too far into this in terms of who we are or what we're tackling, maybe it's probably the best place to sort of outline the mission of this um, podcast. Uh, if you heard the promo or you know followed the Facebook page that we launched a little bit before this first episode or any of that, then you know that we are dealing with books with a female protagonist, but we do actually have specific rules laid out. I'm actually going to defer to Liz to that because she's better with these things than I am. So um, Liz, what are our actual guidelines for what we're going to cover? Number one, graphic novels and trade collections only, no individual issues. Number two, if a character is named as part of the title, the named character must identify as female. Three, if the title names a team of characters, then more than 50% of that team must identify as female. And four, if the title lacks a character name, then the back cover description must point to a female protagonist. Within that framework, anything is on the table. Whether it's superheroes, whether it is aimed at young audiences, old audiences, um, regardless, as long as it meets that criteria, feasibly we might cover it. We've got a rather sizable backlog of stuff we will cover eventually, and we're going to be busy for a while, because at least as it's planned right now, this is a monthly podcast, second Thursday of every month. So yeah, we, we will be busy for a very, very we have Very a long lot time. of books we want to read, definitely. <laughs> we do. I, so maybe since that's that's what's going on with the podcast, maybe a little bit about us. I run the YouTube channel, Council of Geeks. I had the Council of Geeks podcast, um, both of which feel free to check out. But sort of I'm, cam I'm coming at this as someone who, you know, grew up on comic books, grew up on superheroes, has never stopped loving them. And that's the angle that I'm coming at these from. What about you, Liz? I don't have much of a background in comic books um, or graphic novels. I know I've read a few of the classics before this, like Watchmen, V for Vendetta, things like that. Um, so I'm coming to it with fresh eyes. Um, but I am a school librarian, so I'm bringing a lot of the newer, younger audience stuff to um, the podcast. So a lot of things that my students are reading and really into. And and there will there will be a mix. I mean, you'll you'll probably be able to tell any given episode whether it was something I brought to the table or something Liz brought. There'll probably be some pretty clear distinctions. But to open, um, we thought it was good to start with somebody that's a that is a well known name. And so that that means that I did get to kind of butt my head in for this first one because I selected that we're gonna do Batgirl Year One. Had you read any Batgirl comics before I lent you this? No, I had not. I was, I mean, I know Batgirl as sort of a character vaguely, but I had not, I knew she was Barbara Gordon, but that's about it. Now, did you know she was a librarian before you read this? I think I had heard that because anybody that is a librarian in pop culture, we usually get told about. So we know Giles, we know Batgirl, we know a couple others, but yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, that's good to know. So um, what we're going to do is I'm going to give sort of a very generalized overview um, in the case of something like this, which was part of a, of a 
you know, continuous. I mean, this was a, at the time this was released, this was basically a prequel to what had been published up to that point. But it, because it was part of a continuing continuity, um, I'm going to describe this in very loose terms, but we are going to talk about whatever specific parts of the comic that we feel are worth noting, and this will include stuff towards the end. So we try not to get overly spoilery, mm -hmm. but... You know, we're going to talk about various things at various points in the comics, including towards the end. So if if you haven't read this and you want to be able to read it completely cold, maybe give it a read and come back. Batgirl Year One uh, was written by Scott Beatty and Chuck Dixon. Uh, the art was penciled by Marcos Martin. Alvaro Lopez was the inker. Javier Rodriguez was the colorist. Willie Schubert did the lettering. And the cover art, um, both of the graphic novel itself, and there's also, it shows the uh, the cover art for the various individual issues that make up this trade compilation. Those were done by Marcos Martin and Alvaro Lopez working together as they did on the interiors as well. So um, you do actually get consistent art between the cover and the interior issue, which you don't always. They will, especially DC, tend to bring in um, cover artists that are not always representative of what is actually in the book, but that's not the case here. Um, so the story actually kind of opens in media res um, in the middle of a character known as Killer Moth trying to hold up basically a fancy dress party and facing down Barbara Gordon. And then it flashes back to sort of how we got to this point and we meet Barbara, we learn a little bit about her. She is Commissioner Gordon's daughter. Now, of course, if you know your Batman lore, Commissioner Gordon is the head of the police, good friends with Batman, all that fun stuff. So we get the background on Barbara and she is studying, she's in college, she's a gymnast. Um, and her sort of becoming Batgirl happens initially by accident. She basically throws together the costume as a joke, actually. But then when uh, Killer Moth shows up at the party she's going to, she takes him down, and then the media dubs her Batgirl. And so, uh, which, which is a detail I personally like, that she wasn't going out of her way to go, I want to be like Batman, and she kind of very, almost very literally fell into it completely by accident. But then it becomes uh, about two things happening simultaneously. Her, her sort of taking on at a number of occasions Killer Moth and then his eventual um, partner, Firefly, and then also meeting Batman and Robin as they try to decide what do we do about her, eventually sort of taking her under their wing a little bit. Um, because at, even though she is doing pretty well on her own, they obviously have a wealth of knowledge and experience that she doesn't have as yet. Um, and that's pretty much the the thrust of this story um general thoughts list since you were the one that this was new for i really like barbara i i though she's a very different type of librarian than i am um i like that she really respects research and you know really she respects that about Batman too. Like she's like, oh, look at this database and everything when she gets to their secret lair. Um, I really like how much she's underestimated um, by both the villains and by a lot of the male characters in the book. Um, and she kind of uses that against them and uses that to her advantage. Um, I mean, including some of the heroes, because when she 
runs into Batman and Robin, she lays Robin out, actually, quite handily. Yeah. Oh, and I love her nicknames for Robin, which are like Pixie Boots. <laughs> I just love that nickname. And Boy Smoocher, because at one point he, he lays a kiss on her, and she's like, whoa, what's going on there? So I just, I like her attitude. She's a great character. She's a lot of fun, witty, um, kind of calculating. There's a lot to like about her. Um, rebellious streak against her father, who is very much against her becoming a police officer, which is what she really wants to do, um, and who, you know, has his suspicions about what she's up to. Um, yeah, she's a lot of fun. Um, the villains were kind of... Well, Killer Moth himself was kind of lame. He was, but speaking as the person with the background, he's supposed to be. I mean, Killer Moth is a joke. He's always been a joke. And, and he remains so in this. They kind of hang a lampshade on it. They're not even pretending that he's not a no, joke. No, they definitely do. For my part, I think it works for two reasons. One, they acknowledge it. And the other is they do a pretty good job of amping the stakes once Firefly comes into the mix because Fi Firefly is genuinely dangerous. Yes, he definitely has more of a psychologically dangerous bent. He's more unpredictable, you know. Firefly, it comes with the name kind of. So. Yeah, so, you know, as a as a pyromaniac with a flamethrower, yeah, he's way more dangerous than Killer Moth with his, co with his cheesy cocoon gun is. But at the same time, I also think it was a very good call in, in the grand scheme to have her first come up against what are basically D-list villains because I think it's nice that they gave her legitimate villains to fight and she's not just fighting thugs. But at the same time, you can't have her immediately taking on like the Riddler or the Penguin or something like that because if they're in this story and she can take them down, well, Batman can just retire now because there's somebody who just came onto the scene who can deal with these people. So I think in the grand scheme, it it was a call that makes a lot of sense both within the narrative but within the grander scheme of DC Comics to have her start out um, on, on the lower end. Yeah, you got to start somewhere. And I like that she's the one that eventually takes them down and literally takes them down yes. and um so that's good um yeah i like the artwork um the narration the flashbacks going back and forth in the beginning kind of annoyed me and i know that's more can be more of a comic book style but it as someone who's relatively new to that um it's a little confusing it's a little it like takes you out of the action a little bit and that's frustrating well it's funny because it's it's something because i've been reading comics books for so long i don't even think of it as feasibly an issue but you're right because from a completely narrative through line perspective there's no reason to not just start at the chronological beginning mm -hmm. there's no reason to start with you know this this action beat and a splash page of Killer Moth pointing a gun at uh, at Bruce Wayne and Barbara there in Batgirl. But from an issue by issue comic book standpoint, there is because it's the first issue of a of the miniseries, and you need to grab the audience early. And it's a fairly common thing in comic books that if your story told 
linearly doesn't is a slow bull is a slow burn mm -hmm. then you need to start with an action scene whether that means your first action scene actually doesn't connect to the action or it means you do this sort of thing where you sort of jump the action ahead and then backtrack you do whatever you have to do so that you can open hard mm -hmm. um because they have because you know they have to they have to sell you on the first issue and want you to come back whereas um and that's one of the things that happens with these things that that we read that are going to be trade collections as opposed to graphic novels that were written to be released in these bound volumes those won't feel the need to do that as much because i mean if you've bought it you have the entire story in your hand they can start however they want mm -hmm. but if they need to keep getting you to come back every issue then there are they do these kinds of tricks yeah that being said after we were a few issues in i felt like it was well paced and i like the the introduction of Black Canary into it, and um, yeah, there are a lot of great introductions of characters. So. I think I well, a couple things. I th I like that they introduced Black Canary in the first place because it was nice to give her someone other than just Batman to look up to, um, and to have that be another woman is kind of a bonus. Mm -hmm. um, but one of the things this has. The problem with most prequels is that eventually where the story's going, it's kind of predetermined. So there aren't a lot of stakes in them. But I think comic books can do prequels better than most other mediums. Because since it's an ongoing story anyway, at any point you can go back and just either elaborate more or fill in gaps or whatever. And because everything is subject to change anyway because of retconning and the crazy sort of stuff that goes on in comic books, you don't have that same pitfall and what you can do, which I think this does really well, is you can do foreshadowing. And this does foreshadowing really, really well in terms of introducing Black Canary because later on they will partner up in Birds of Prey in terms of her interaction with Robin. If you know some of the stuff that goes on with them later, there's a lot of interesting sort of seeing their initial uh, interactions. There is maybe a little more foreshadowing than is necessary towards the killing joke. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, to, to the point of almost literally recreating one of the most famous panels from that comic with, uh, with an image of the Joker sort of popping up as like a, a dummy for her to take down, holding a gun and looking very deliberately like that image from the killing joke when Barbara Gordon opens the door and there's the Joker. So they may have overdone that a little, but I think in general, they they used their knowledge of what was coming down the line for her to really good effect in terms of how things unfolded. Yeah, not having the background uh, in her, it was a good introduction to the character and to her world and, you know, how she got her start. So I did like that about her. I know you... you you liked the art for the most part, but you did voice some yes. frustration at some of the... By comic standards, not many. But admittedly, there are a few needless cheesecake shots actually kind of starting with the cover. Gratuitous silhouettes, I would say. It's mostly um, silhouettes with her because uh, thankfully her outfit is actually almost completely skin covering. Mm-hmm. It's very sleek and tight, however. <laughs> yes, but it, it is so form-fitting that they do, yeah, they do the cheesecake silhouette thing, including the cover with the classic sort of um, broken spine twist 
where a character, um, well, a female, it's always a female character, is turned in such a way as to manage to show off both their chest and their rear end Don't at the know same how time. That is possible that that is. I mean, I'm sure it's po it's possible because comics. Yeah, impressive. She's a contortionist too, as well as a librarian and a martial artist, and really good at creating her own outfit. I do like how she tailors her outfit and slices the heels down and puts like um, hiking boot soles in instead. That's a great little sequence. Um, yeah, she's very crafty in more ways than one. <laughs> I think she is as self-sufficient as is reasonable. Because um, I, I think if she was any more self-sufficient than she is, then we sort of come back to what I said about if she was taking on bigger villains. It's like, well, Batman can quit. There's, somebody's better at this. Um, so, like, I kind of... I know I you kind of sounded like you were a little bit iffy on it, but I kind of like the way that Batman and Robin enter into her story. Even though it's... It's potentially slightly patronizing that they they cut yeah. her line and they quote unquote save her from this dive she's taken off a off a building with a rope. But at the same time, I think their reasoning is completely valid, which is that she picked the wrong kind of rope. She picked something with no give, and if that had gone taut, she would have wrenched her arm out of her socket and died. I suppose I can be thankful that they saved her <laughs> from that fate. <laughs> but yeah, I, they are a little bit. Um... I think her banter with Robin kind of gets better as the book goes on and takes, you know, like, is a little less patronizing. Um, and Batman almost kind of fades into the background sometimes in this. You know, it's more her banter with Robin a couple times. Which I think was a good call. And again, knowing what happens later makes sense because um, for at least for a while there, she had a much... Um, closer relationship with Dick Grayson than she did um, with Bruce Wayne, with Batman. Mm -hmm. Depending on the continuity you're looking at, because, you know, some people are stupid and decide to pair <laughs> off Batgirl and Batman. I'm not, okay, I'm not. You're I not going to go into that movie? <laughs> oh, God. Certain adaptation. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not going to go into it, but in case anyone's wondering, I'm talking about the animated version of The Killing Joke, which... Uh, it's not good, and we'll leave it at that. I thankfully have not seen it yet, but <laughs> with that glowing recommendation. Well, you know what? If you know anyone who wants my copy, because <laughs> I never blind buy movies, but I did. I blind bought this, so now I own this thing, and I don't want it. Ay, ay, ay. Um, but sort of coming back to the art style, I really like this, because it's not cartoonish, but it is a more stripped down style it is not overly detailed it only the only lines that are there are the lines that need to be there um which as somebody who on one of his other podcasts is rereading 90s comics which seem to sometimes be in a competition for the most lines per square inch <gasps> is is just something that i'm always happy to see when something can go minimal but still get across absolutely everything that it it needs to. I liked it too. I mean, I've been reading a lot more of the stuff for kids and like things like El Defo and Nimona, which you'll hear about later on this podcast, um, definitely have a more cartoony style. Um, 
And this was kind of fun and more of the, I, I would assume, the more classic comic book style. Very sleek to me. Um, so. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like they took like maybe um, sort of a Silver Age approach, but it's all drawn with very, well, at the time, modern sensibilities. But they did sort of, sort of strip down um, the detail level in a way that makes sense. And it's not done because it's lazy, but it's done because that's just what they need. Uh, 2003 is the copyright date for the graphic novel, which probably means the comic book issues were probably the year before. I don't do research, so I I don't know that for certain. That's me I guessing. look into that. <laughs> Yeah, anyone who listens to my other podcast already knows I don't do research. Um, so those of you new to this, meet Liz. <laughs> She'll be doing the research. <laughs> Thanks, Nathaniel. <laughs> I don't mind I, it, though. Um, I, I have a lot to catch up on in terms of comics. <laughs> so I guess that'll about do it for general co- I mean, ov- overall, I this, this is one of my favorite things to to reread and it's one of my favorite things to loan out to people who haven't already read it because I've I haven't gotten it back with anybody going oh why'd you give me that no I enjoyed it I I liked it um I don't think I love it but I I I enjoyed it so it was a good introduction to Batgirl and I did really like the title character so so if so basically from your end the character awesome the story yeah good yeah not great yep i think that's that's a good way of describing it what with the narration and the kind of i i know you explained the villain but i still find them like not the greatest so yeah and and that's fair and again that's that's part of why the two of us are doing this together because a lot of stuff like that doesn't even occur to me that it's a problem because I've been reading this stuff too long. So I can't say that you're wrong. It's all I can say is it's stuff that I accepted a long time ago um, and don't know to question anymore. And that's not not that's not necessarily a good thing. Because I, I I remember when you pointed out the cheesecake in this, which honestly had completely gone over my head because comparatively it's so subdued. I'm sure we will. But it is still there. I'm sure we will read other ones, and I will have quite the commentary when it's well to the max. I'm, I'm I'm trying to find the 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 volume I want is out of print. I'm trying to find a collection of the first issues of Witchblade. Oh, I've heard about that one and had it suggested to me. That's so this should be I'm, amazing. I haven't found it yet, so I can't promise it as a future episode. But if I can. Because it, it seems like all the current stuff that you can get a hold of is all like the reboot and whatever. Now, I want to find that initial run because you want to talk, you want to talk cheesecake. Whew. But anyways, um, I guess that will about wrap it up. So that that'll be one glowing recommendation and one. Yeah, it's still worth it. <laughs> yes. Um. So I guess that'll about do it. This is, of course, our first episode. Um, I don't know if in the future we'll do any sort of um, listener feedback section at the end of these things. It depends on the response we get. But if you want to give us feedback, um, there's the Facebook page for Punch Like a Girl. There is the WordPress page, Punch Like a Girl Pod. 
www.wordpress.com. Um, there is uh, Twitter, Punch Like a Girl One. Um, and I do want to throw a shout out to all the people who already um, liked the page or followed the Twitter based off of just the promo. Um, which is more people than I think I can reasonably name. But to all of you, those of you who have done that, thank you. Thanks, guys. You're awesome. So um, that'll be it for this one. And we'll be back uh, next month. So second Thursday of every month. Um, unless I get really bad about it. In which case, I assume Liz will kick me. <laughs> but um, for now, that will take care of us. So uh, thanks, guys. Bye. Bye. The Punch Like a Girl podcast is a Council of Geeks production. Comments and feedback can be left at the Punch Like a Girl Facebook page and at punchlikeagirlpod.wordpress.com. You can also leave feedback through Twitter by reaching out to at punchlikeagirl1. The theme music is written and performed by Erica Dreisbach. And if you're wondering why you're only hearing my voice, it's because I had technical difficulties when I recorded the outro with Liz, and so I had to redo it again at the last minute. Hopefully next time you will hear a better balance of our two voices and not be stuck with just me.